This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. The poem says, Human voices wake us, and we drown. But I've made this podcast with the belief that human voices are what we need. And so, whether from a year or 3,000 years ago, whether poetry or prose, whether fiction or diary or biography, here are the best things we have ever thought, written, or said. Our love for certain books or movies or pieces of music are sometimes so intense that we like to imagine our preference for them rises to the level of objectivity. The wonderfully grouchy critic Harold Bloom, for instance, could praise the poetry of Hart Crane to no end, but then, just as effusively, he could relate the memory of receiving Crane's collected poems as a child, so that his adulation was just as bound up with the concentrated power of that childhood moment. Almost as important as the work of art itself, then, it matters just as much when you first encounter it. And for some reason, Michael Andace's novel, The English Patient, has always been circling around me. I heard of the movie version by chance late in high school, and bits from the novel showed up months later on the SATs. When the movie won an Oscar, I finally saw it, and also bought the score, which I listened to non-stop while first reading through James Joyce's Dubliners. And there are still a few songs from it, which sound like nothing else but Joyce's sad stories. And, since the novel and the movie involve a love affair, both have also colored and become intertwined with nearly every relationship I've ever had. A friend from back in high school recently wrote me to to ask how it is that we can express the ineffable in prose or poetry, the weight of lived experience, and our backward glance. Andache's novel gets as close as anything I know. Listen to the following passages from the novel and see if you don't agree. They come from near the end of the book, when the main character is forced to leave his lover, wounded in a plane crash, before he wanders across the Egyptian desert in search of help. And all the names of the tribes, the nomads of faith, who walked in the monotone of the desert and saw brightness and faith and color, the way a stone or found metal box or bone can become loved and turn eternal in a prayer. Such glory of this country she enters now and becomes part of. We die, containing a richness of lovers and tribes, tastes we have swallowed, bodies we have plunged into, and swum up as if rivers of wisdom, characters we have climbed into as if trees, fears we have hidden in as if caves. I wish for all this to be marked on my body when I am dead. I believe in such cartography, to be marked by nature, not just to label ourselves on a map like the names of rich men and women on buildings. We are communal histories, 
communal books. We are not owned or monogamous in our taste or experience. All I desired was to walk upon such an earth that had no maps. I carried Catherine Clifton into the desert, where there is the communal book of moonlight. We were among the rumor of wells in the palace of winds. And a second passage says, Her glare was permanent. I could not move out of the target of that gaze. I will be the last image she sees, the jackal in the cave who will guide and protect her, who will never deceive her. There are a hundred deities associated with animals, I tell her. There are the ones linked to jackals, Anubis, Dwamatef, Wepwawet. These are creatures who guide you into the afterlife, as my early ghost accompanied you those years before we met. All those parties in London and Oxford, watching you. I sat across from you as you did schoolwork, holding a large pencil. I was there when you met Geoffrey Clifton at 2 a.m. in the Oxford Union Library. Everybody's coats were strewn on the floor and you in your bare feet, like some heron, picking your way among them. He is watching you, but I am watching you too, though you miss my presence, ignore me. You are at an age when you see only good-looking men. You are not yet aware of those outside your sphere of grace. The jackal is not used much at Oxford as an escort. Whereas I am the man who fasts until I see what I want. The wall behind you is covered in books. Your left hand holds a long loop of pearls that hangs from your neck. Your bare feet picking their way through. You are looking for something. You were more plump in those days, though aptly beautiful for university life. There are three of us in the Oxford Union Library, but you find only Geoffrey Clifton. It will be a whirlwind romance. He has some job with archaeologists in North Africa, of all places. A strange old coot I'm working with. Your mother is quite delighted at your adventure. But the spirit of the jackal, who was the, quote, opener of the ways, whose name was Wepwowet, or Almasy, stood in the room with the two of you, my arms folded, watching your attempts at enthusiastic small talk, a problem as you both were drunk. But what was wonderful was that even within that drunkenness of 2 a.m., each of you somehow recognized the more permanent worth and pleasure of the other. You may have arrived with others, will perhaps cohabit this night with others, but both of you have found your fates. At 3 a.m. you feel you must leave, but you are unable to find one shoe. You hold the other in your hand, a rose-colored slipper. I see one half buried near me and pick it up, the sheen of it. There are obviously favorite shoes, with the indentation of your toes. Thank you, you say, accepting it as you leave not even looking at my face. I believe this. When we meet those we fall in love with, there is an aspect of our spirit that is historian, a bit of a pedant, who imagines or remembers a meeting when the other had passed by innocently, just as Clifton might have opened a car door for you a year earlier and ignored the fate of his life. But all parts of the body must be ready for the other, 
all atoms must jump in one direction for desire to occur. I have lived in the desert for years, and I have come to believe in such things. It is a place of pockets, of time and water. The jackal with one eye that looks back, and one that regards the path you consider taking. In his jaws are pieces of the past he delivers to you, and when all of that time is fully discovered, it will prove to have been already known. Any comments or suggestions for readings I should make in future episodes can be emailed to humanvoiceswakeus, the number one, at gmail.com. Links to each work used in this episode can be found in the episode description. If you enjoy Human Voices Wake Us, you can subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. The music here is Duke Ellington's Arabesque Cookie.